Well, good evening. It is Tuesday, December 10th, 2019, and welcome to the third episode of Season 2 of District 29's Political Action Committee podcast, District 29 Unpacked. I am the last Jedi, Adam Gibson, and we're coming to you live from the Outer Rim at Federation House in Belleville, Ontario, here where we will try to finally bring balance to the force. Say hello to my regular co-host first. He offers the sage advice I need. To reach my true potential, it's Obi-Wan Masterson Kenobi. I'd rather be Vader. <laughs> Adam, you are my son. You've got the hairline. Yeah, we got the same hairline. Sure. And he's uh, a new addition to the storyline, an intergalactic assassin with a heart of gold. It's our Mandalorian, Hugh Colton. Say hello, Hugh. Hey, Adam. Uh, may the force be with you. And you so, too. And you. Also and with, with you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to access us via the podcast app on your Apple device and search District 29 on Packed. Subscribe to the pod to help us out. And remember, you can email us with questions or comments, suggestions, etc. You can also follow the District 29 PAC Twitter account at OSSTFD. And thank you in advance for tonight's sponsors who generously continue to support our segments, even sometimes in a strike position. Today we will review some of the recent bargaining updates and Chris will uh, have his own editorial uh, that he will share later. Later, Bayside Secondary School's Greg Stevens will stop by and tell us how to make the castle run in just 12 parsecs. But tonight, we want to start with our Yoda. <laughs> uh, that would make us uh, your Padawans. That's a pretty deep dive. Wow, yeah. Anyway, it's Scott. Scott's here still again. Hey, hey Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, folks. <laughs> uh, really, tonight, there's a bunch of topics, but I think we just have one topic tonight, gentlemen, and that is... Uh, the rotating strikes and District 29's place within them. So uh, let's go back a little bit. Um, what was the response like to the information pickets that first run of five days? In your experience, gentlemen, as you made your way through them, what was the response? Go ahead, Hugh. Okay, well, uh, I was out at Eastside, and we, we did information pickets at several locations in the East End of town. Um, generally, the, the response was very positive. There were, there were a couple of minor incidents, um, but those were... Not, few and far between. Few and far yeah, between. really. Yeah, the vast majority of, of people were overwhelmingly supportive, even on the even on the information. Page. Would you say the same, Chris? Yeah, at uh, Todd Smith's Bayside went to Todd Smith's office uh, most nights. I guess every night, and uh, at least two of the three nights I was there, I I estimate somewhere in the sixty to seventy percent of the cars honked, waved, thumbs up. Um, by all accounts, there might have been one or two people per night that. You know, gave a thumbs down, gave the finger, whatever. Yeah, right. uh, but almost overwhelmingly support. And and actually, I found the members that were there at the end of the night felt very good about, about things because they were hearing so much and so much support. And full disclosure to our avid listeners, we recorded a live podcast, uh, <laughs> I think, last Friday. No, the oh, Friday before. Yeah, it was a while I had before. an information picket. Uh, at Todd Smith's that was obsolete before we even finished it because by the time I got home to load it online, it had been announced that we were going on strike on Wednesday for the one-day strike. So like, ah, oh, frick, when do we get to this? Uh, Scott, you made it to uh, a couple of them, I'm sure. Uh, were your sentiments the same? For the information picket? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, you know, the members were great, first of all, because they're doing all of this outside of their workday. And it seemed to pick up energy and momentum as the week went on as well in our community. So, uh, well done to everyone who participated. And I think it was very worthwhile because 
we continue to hear um, the minister lie, I guess, about everything going on in education. We'll so, get to those. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. good. you know, good for us to get it all out there to start. Um, and, of course, after that, we had last Wednesday's uh, provincial uh, walkout. And then tomorrow, <laughs> I aim to have this up tonight. <laughs> because yes. because tomorrow uh, I promised our Twitter followers that it'd be up shortly. So <laughs> well, I'd hate to break one of your promises. Yeah. Um, I mean, tomorrow we're gonna we're gonna be on strike again. I would ask all you guys again in a kind of round table. Um, let's go, Kristen, Hugh, then Scott. Uh, what's morale like at your uh, your school? Uh, morale is good. Um, I haven't heard any concerns other than, of course, financial concerns. Sure, yeah. None of us want to be on strike. And that's important for the public to know. Uh, we have no interest in this. This is it's costly. But the alternative is is way worse for the rest of us, for our profession, for the rest of our careers, not to mention our younger teachers who may not have careers if we allow this uh, to happen. So I think morale is, uh, people are concerned, uh, but morale is good and they realize that this is a fight we have to have. I've had that thought because like my wife, my wife and I both teach, right? And so I'm kind of doing the math in my head, yeah. like, oh, what do I take home <laughs> on a the regular one, there's day? There's the 1% right day? there, right? Yeah, and like, <laughs> but I have to weigh that against, you know, I'm not young in my mid-30s, but in terms of the seniority list, I am relatively young. And I have to weigh that against losing my job, potentially, right? If, if e-learning is introduced, the class sizes are bumped. If I hadn't had the protection in the spring, then I would have been gone. Right, so well, not uh, what, what do we want our, our the rest of our careers to look like? What's it going to look like? What's yeah. it going to look like? Do you want to be in a class of forty five students, depending on really it would end up being with no caps? It would be on principal's whim as to what classes had forty five and which ones had five or six. Right, there, you know. How about you at Eastside, Hugh? How's morale? Well, like uh, Eastside is in a unique position because it's still a really new. It's no school. Yeah, anymore. right. So the staff is still coming from two schools that were amalgamated, which has been, been it's, it's been getting better, but it was a bit of an issue, like just sure. people learning how to meet each other. Sure. That's no longer a problem. Um, after last Wednesday on the line, uh, the, the school, everybody is talking to everybody. It's, again, people are, people are very serious. Uh, people are very, are very upset and feel very hurt by, what, by the government's approach and, it's, and the language they're using about teachers in general. Um, but other than that, resolve is strong. I, su so. I suppose uh, there's really nothing to do for four hours on a picket line except talk. Yeah. And so you, you get to you know learn, your neighbors. You so learn a lot of things that, uh, yeah, that uh, you might not actually. You know. what, what we did on the picket line that last Wednesday was we played uh, seven degrees of whatever actor. And, yeah, and yeah, we even yeah. <laughs> we did some other games involving staff, like, you know. Oh, what is this? What what animal represents this staff's personality? <laughs> we were doing that what as we were you? walking back and Did forth. You I was one? a bulldog. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Scott, district wide. How's yeah, resolve is strong. There was a lot of energy last week. People have been uh, trying to uh, fight against these cuts and every other, uh, using all the other tools that we have, and, and nothing's worked. Yeah. So I think there was a lot of energy that day when they finally got out there to start, <laughs> you know, standing up and visibly standing up against this government and the cuts and uh, the impact for them in their careers. But also, you know, when, when you teach, uh, you work with students all the time and, and, you know, you want to see them succeed. You want to be in an environment where they can succeed and everybody's aware of what it's going to look like long-term as well. So uh, tomorrow will be uh, our second day. Our members are ready. They will be out there and I know they'll do very well. To that point, can I ask you then to explain to the listeners, why is it us? Why is uh, district 29 one of the districts who is on rotating strike tomorrow? Yeah, I, so I, I can't answer um, <clears throat> why, because that was a decision made by the provincial executive, but 
you know, you, you look at the list of boards and it looks like there's balance uh, geographically. So you've got boards in the east, in the north, uh, central, in the, the west. Uh, also balanced by size. And there would have been consideration for uh, the number of bargaining units, uh, okay. how many support staff members, those types of things. So, you know, if it's rotating strikes, I suppose you want it to be balanced each time uh, there's a day of action. So right. likely we're the one out of the east this time. Was and, uh, in the last, uh, so the last round yeah. of negotiations, I know, it seems like a Two decade ago, ago I think. but it, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, when rotating strikes were introduced, we were not one of the That's districts, right? right? So, uh, you know, we're out. So yep. to speak. Once more into the breach. Yeah. Um, can I ask you again, Scott, how is the, what has the response been locally from the board? Our, our board has been very cooperative. We don't have uh, issues with them at all. Hopefully that doesn't change when you get to the local bargaining table. Yeah, right. But they understand that we're fighting to protect a learning environment, all the schools here. So we haven't had any issues with them uh, at all. They've been very cooperative, in fact. That's awesome. Well, I want to hit really quick the list of the boards who are out uh, tomorrow. They include Rainy River, Near North, Grand Dairy, Brant, Haldeman, Norfolk, Catholic District School Board, Toronto District School Board, might have heard of it, Simcoe County, Simcoe, Muskoka Catholic, Trillium Lake Lands District, and of course us at the HPEDSB. And then there are a couple of other uh, kind of large um, collection. Scott, can you explain those a little bit? So there's a large list here for those members employed by the, check my French, Conseil Scolaire de District Catholique Monavenir at the following work sites, um, some at Council Scolaire Viamonde and Council Scolaire des Ecoles Publiques et de, la, et de Ontario, Eastern Ontario. <laughs> yeah, those <laughs> would be... Check your French. Tell us why those folks are in there. Again, uh, balanced approach. So yep. these would be the uh, OSSTF uh, members, uh, support staff members working in the Francophone boards uh, that the provincial executive has uh, determined would be part of phase one. So last week, there was a large group that uh, joined our members at Trenton High outside of Trenton High, and there was a ton of energy on that picket line. That's good. It takes a village to stop a government, apparently. Okay, we'll be right back after this important announcement from our sponsor with some lechy facts. Today's podcast is brought to you by Strike Snacks. If you don't love Strike Snacks yet, just listen to this mom. Strike Snacks come in a variety of flavors like Timbits, Mystery Muffin, and Soggy Cracker. They get my family through their daily grind, walking from this curb to the other curb and then back again. One out of five doctors agree. Strike Snacks can be ingested. Oh, Mom, you bought Strike Snacks? You're the coolest. Note, Strike Snacks may not contain nutritional value. Truth to yourself. Yeah. Who's that song by? So. That's uh, the Avett Brothers. Probably my favorite band, actually. I've seen them a couple times live and really love them. And I thought the song was appropriate given that our Minister of Education continually lies every single day. Do you think it's harder to lie to yourself or to the people you represent? <laughs> wow. Well, I, I think 
Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't justify any of that. I don't know. Well, we want to take a little time now to give some updates on what little bargaining has taken place in the last little bit. And then follow that up with a little segment we call Lechy Lies. That's Lechy Lies, for those of you who missed it. Um, so a lot of our stuff is from uh, OSSTF's Bargaining for Education uh, website, which I would encourage members to, to check out. It's got the recent... Bargaining bulletins, uh, host of research and support, and it's got this awesome little section called Lechi Fact Check that we're going to dive into a bit today. I just want to cover this um, proposal from the weekend from OSSTF um, back to the government, uh, which read from Bargaining for Education. In an effort to bring the parties back to the bargaining tables and to allow meaningful negotiations, OSSTF makes the following proposal. One, to postpone the full withdrawal of services at select boards scheduled for Wednesday, December 11th, that's tomorrow, and then use a mutually agreed upon private mediator. CeeLo, do you want to explain the difference between public-private mediators? Sure. Well, the Ministry of Labor already has paid mediators to uh, to deal with cases like this. And they've been working on and this they've already. they've been working on this already. And what OSSDF ha- has said is, well, to the government, why would we go bring in a new private mediator that's going to cost more money for the government. And, yep. and my guess is because the government wants someone who's biased and in their favor. Um, so why would we do that? Fine. If you want to change mediators to one of the other Ministry of Labor mediators, yep. we'll happily do that. But um, I don't see any point in bringing in someone private. The taxpayers are already paying for this These service. Ones. These so ones. in this proposal from the weekend, that was our offer. We won't strike on Wednesday. And we'll go to your private slash one mediator. Uh, but in return, the Crown agrees to revert back to the previous year's average class size regulation of 22 to 1, eliminate mandatory e-learning, and provide assurances that Bill 124 will not be an impediment to free collective bargaining. Um, if you don't know your bills by number, that's the <laughs> one that limited public sector uh, <coughs> wage increases to 1% uh, annually. And that was OSSTF's offer to get back to the table. Um, if you were a guess, a betting man, how would you bet that the government responded to that? Well, I, I already know how they responded. You do know, because you're smart. <laughs> Which is no. But just on the on the, the 1% legislation, sorry, Bill 124, I think it is. Yes, sir. Um, the problem with that is that it's like a lot of our members need to understand that that was the government trying to uh, pre set preconditions on bargaining. Yeah. Uh, it, it the charter ha- the government or the courts have already ruled that our charter rights every union's charter rights says that you have the right to free collective bargaining freedom of association yeah. broadly yeah. written in the charter has been right. widely interpreted by the Supreme Court to right. include collective bargaining right which yeah. includes wages so yeah. for a government to pass a legislation that's a violation of of all public sector workers charter rights. Lecce responded by saying that uh, he fired back, said the CBC, in a statement of his own, arguing the union's proposal is a restatement of OSSDF's original and unchanged collective bargaining brief passed months ago. Uh, And this is an an interesting position that he's begun to take, which is um, what we hypothesized about 15 months ago when we started this, is like, (laughs) would the government just take a really extreme position and then walk that back and say, look, at least we're not extremists. And that's kind of where he's gone. Like, he said, well, we've walked back from 28 to 25. We've walked back from 42. And they haven't moved at all. Uh, how do you guys perceive those moves? Scott? Well, he, he says he wants to compromise. But so the question we have to ask is, what will the compromise look like 
for the schools and the students. So if he says it's 25 is a compromise, it is not. It's moving from a 22 to 1 to 25 to 1 generator. That's going to eliminate 5,000 teaching positions. So we know all the um, classes go with those and the course selections go with those and the class sizes increase. Uh, same with e-learning. It's not a compromise to force a learning model on the students that we know is uh, not going to meet the needs of every student. It, it's, there's a lot of data behind the e-learning as well. So it's ridiculous to think that, you know, you're somehow evening things out by making it much, much worse for the students. We should maybe instead reframe it as not four to two, zero to two. Right? Not 28 to 25, yeah. 22 to 25. And, and that's what I do in my daily conversations. Even with, with our own members, sometimes you have to, to reframe it for them. It, yeah. it's, not, it's not going from 28 to 25 or from 4 to 2 in the e-learning cases. It's going from 0 to 2 and 22 to, to 25. Hugh, you had read a little bit on some of the um, public responses to e-learning, including something from the uh, Ontario Student Trustees Association. Do you recall how, how popular are some of these uh, responses well the or plans I should say yeah the, these these plans the the learning plan is is not not popular across the board in the, in the entire province from from the polls I've seen we're looking at what was the 95 percent of it 95 percent of the uh, Ontario student Trustees Association they did a, a survey of, of students, students. Yeah. and 95 percent of students sure. said that we're opposed yeah we're opposed to right? I mean speaking either. speaking for myself and, and somebody who's working in the in the uh, special education end of the end of the, right. the business, the or sorry the profession, not business, the um, the the students are, are worried greatly about this because the the best success that we have to date is of course a blended learning model using whatever resources we have mm -hmm. best fit to meet the needs of the individual learner. That's the approach that we need to take in education. That is our pedagogy. That's what we've been doing for the last twenty years, and that's what the government is trying to steer us away from. We know that we know that the we know that the results of their own internal surveys were not good because they tried to sit on it forever until about ten days ago when it became yeah. leaked through. Well, uh, something something like seventy percent of the, uh, the population of Ontario does not support cuts to public education. But I wanted to call Hugh on something there. His little slip up when he said business is exactly what. This government wants yes. education to become. It's yeah. this this e-learning model is all about uh, creating. It's it's the road to pri privatization. Can I, can I repent myself? Yes. <laughs> what, what this is, what this is, is, is a fundamental difference in uh, in what we see education as. Mm -hmm. Is education a social good, a necessity that we need to improve <laughs> our lives and the lives of, of our children for the future of our society, or is education a commodity to be privatized? monetized and sold off to the private sector for the highest benefit. I guess that depends on whether you're a conservative who believe that. But or <laughs> here's the wonderful, wonderful thing. We are fortunate in that we have an excellent, excellent model of uh, what that policy looks like right next door. Consider right. Wisconsin. Consider actually many states in the United States yeah. where teachers are also very militant but are in, have been rocked back far farther than even we have here. Um, what we're seeing is 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 a, a formal. It's a it's a it's an assault on the the common good of yeah. the province. 
And, and the same states that the minister refers to when he talks about e-learning, when, when uh, Merritt Stiles asked him in the, yeah. in the legislature about evidence, and he referred to four or five states, some of the worst performing states, I think Alabama was one of them, that he kept referring to. And, and more to the point, that, you look, at, look at what happened to relatively, relatively progressive states like Wisconsin after right. Scott Walker. Um, they've, been, they've been decimated. Yeah. And so, so he has uh, done his best to kind of swing the narrative. And what I want to do just to, to close this segment is uh, run a little video that's been spliced up uh, where a couple of journalists go at him on his uh, <laughs> communication methods quite a bit. This is from Twitter user Tyler What 16 It's from about five days ago, and it's only two minutes. So I'm going to run it in its entirety because uh, it splices up some questions to him and then uh, a different interview from a different television network. Uh, and it runs about two minutes long, but you can hear kind of uh, the crux of him trying to evade uh, the actual questions. They are saying they're also fighting to preserve class sizes, which they say you're trying to balloon to 25. They also say that you are trying to force children to do e-learning. And yeah. so you keep focusing on the money. They say they're focusing on the kids in the classroom. So and we've made significant moves. I made an announcement, for example, last week or about a week and a half ago in online learning. We've made some pretty serious moves. And with respect, uh, framing that question to suggest that our focus is on numbers but that's what the, you're focusing the, on. You've the been talking opposite, about money. That's the, all you ever talk about. In every interview I've heard, you talk about this $1.5 billion. And $1.5 billion is the red line for them. And I think if parents knew those facts, knowing that they're making on average $92,000, they want me to fight to put more money in the front of class. You do not mention that they talk about the classroom sizes. You do not mention the e-learning. Yes, what I the, the rationale for me talking about that $1.5 billion request or insistence by the union is because in my estimation, that is the fundamental uh, wedge at the table. And they and, say that that is not the only wedge at the table, that they're well, concerned about the kids. To assert it isn't about compensation is preposterous. It is. Because you're saying that you're asking the union right now to sit down and negotiate with you. I'm being told that there were no negotiations that happened today and that, in fact, they did not receive that proposal that you said was sent to them. We, I'm being told that the mediator, in fact, told them that no proposal was sent. Yeah, what, what we've asked them today through the mediator, what we've encouraged uh, to be, I think, more accurate in, in, the, in the verbiage. So, I, in I, fact, I, you didn't present them a deal. We offered them an opportunity. Oh, and they had was a proposal, so that sounds a little bit different than, you know, just just tell me what you want, right? Because well, that's just... Well, we, within the frame... Because it made it sound like it was a proposal, like you made some sort of amendments to something. Right. That was done a few weeks ago, but that wasn't the case. Well, last online courses just, just, when if I could finish never the thought, even and I think if you're an observer, if you're parents, you're saying, look, I think all the parties have to be a bit reasonable here to get a deal. Parents, we've been telling us they're very concerned about education and they're concerned about e-learning and they're concerned about growing classroom sizes. We are investing in public education because we believe in the potential of our young people. However. In a, in, in a choice of a, of a world of finite resources, you know, there's only so many tax dollars. They're not asking me to advance a $1.5 billion compensation increase. They're also not asking for larger classroom sizes. If I can. Uh, now. <laughs> now that's been edited and spliced for dramatic effect. To be totally fair to my Minister of Education, however. Yeah, I think the facts remain. Okay, let's go really quick. I want to do a quick hit because bargaining for education. Let's do this right now before, before we Bargaining for education has uh, this neat little section they call hashtag Lechi Fact Check, and I would encourage our listeners to use that hashtag too. Uh, and it's got a list of some of the uh, Lechi lies, so to speak. Uh, and so I've asked uh, both Hugh and Chris to pick out their favorites. Uh, if you had a Mount Rushmore 
of Stephen Lecce falsehoods. Uh, what would be on it? Give me one, Hugh. I'm going to call this Mount Rushmore. I call this a smoldering center of a volcano right okay. here because this really gets to me. It's the it's this the, the trophy has been playing on. The union te the teacher unions want closer to 2% or more, and I'm simply saying that will cost $1.5 billion. <laughs> I mean, if, if you ask, wages are a consideration. They are of these of these three big things, let's say, that we identify in the weekend, they're absolutely number three for me. That's, that's the way I feel. I know that you feel differently, but if I had to rank well, them, I'm going to talk about that in the next segment a little bit. <laughs> okay, I'll leave that to you. What's your favorite let you like? Well, I, I think this, uh, on his push for mandatory e-learning courses, he said, quote, the driver for me was listening to students. <laughs> We've already heard that the you know, Student Trustee Association has said 94, 95% of the students uh, are opposed to it. I can tell you uh, some of the students in our school that have talked about it have been like, well, I can't do an e-learning course. I don't want to do an e-learning course. That That's ridiculous. Yeah, right. So I, I don't think at all, they're not listening to students at all. <laughs> I would not say that's correct. I don't think there's any students who want larger class sizes either or no caps or anything like that. Yeah, we're, if I recall in the spring when there are a rash of student protests, were they in favor of larger class sizes? <laughs> I don't think so. That's why they were out there, right? They were Bigger classes, fewer teachers, more online learning, <laughs> fight the man. Uh, my favorite is the second one on the list from CBC's Ottawa Morning, December 4th, 2019. This is a good one. Minister of Education Stephen Lecce says, I'm quoting now, OSSTF was actually admitted. There have not been layoffs. All right, guys, so just chill out. Uh, but in fact, OSSTF has repeatedly said that hundreds of teachers and education workers have been laid off this year, including dozens of laid off OSSTF TF <coughs> education workers who actually went to question period on October 28, 2019. They're right there, Steve. Mm -hmm. Just turn around and look. Right. Luckily, luckily for us, not in uh, District 29, but not in 29. We've been very lucky, and I, I do consider myself very lucky that we had the protections that we did. But we will be right back after this important message with an editorial from Chris Masterson. Today's podcast is brought to you by lying. Who needs the truth when a lie will serve all of your needs? Spouse claims you cheated? Oh no, honey. My adultery was your idea. Least lost in round one last year? Mm, that's not what I heard. Fire up the parade. And when the teachers tell you money is not their primary concern, announce to everyone else that it is anyway. With lying, you never need to look yourself or anyone else in the eye again. So I was just uh, sitting here wondering, uh, Chris, what, what do you think? <laughs> That's a dangerous, dangerous question. <laughs> um, well, I understand that uh, our focus is on on the students and, and obviously that's our priority uh, is to make sure that the schools are places where students can learn and our quality public education system continues to be quality public education and that and that's important. But I wanted to touch on uh, you know something I've had some conversations with some teachers and uh, I thought it was important to say we should not be embarrassed to ask for a cost of living increase. Now I understand um, that not everyone in our society gets that. Um, I feel they should, uh, but certainly 
there are a number of cases in the government where if money was really a priority, um, they could find it. For example, uh, $3 billion for cancelled uh, cap and trade, as an example. Uh, tax cuts, of course, for the wealthy in the last uh, budget. 220 some million dollars for cancelled green energy projects, including one here in, in our own area. Uh, 14% raise to some of the MPPs, 20% increase in housing allowance for them, and, quote, uh, at the time, it was because cost of living and, <laughs> and, and, and rent has risen. Uh, on top of it, they just passed legislation that allowed landlords to increase their rent by 2.2% a year. Um, the Financial Accountability Office of the government says salaries for teachers have only increased 0.9% per year between 2010 and 2018, while inflation in that time was 1.68% each year. Um, so you can see over the period of that eight years, you're at least 5 to 6% less in real dollars than what you were making in 2010. Um, firefighters in Toronto, I know it's, it's not necessarily uh, provincially funded, but firefighters in Toronto just got 10.57% over five years. OPP just yesterday, 8% over four years. Um, I think the big difference, this is my opinion, the big difference here is that the teaching profession is 80% women. And I think you're going to see the same thing in healthcare with nursing. Um, I, I really believe this is it, this uh, attempt to uh, demean teachers to not give the wage increases that keep up with inflation is really, in a, in a sense, a, a slap in the face to women. And, and certainly these other professions, which are dominated by males, seem to get uh, uh, better results. Um, in the private sector, professions like ours are, are increasing 2 to 3% a year in, in salary. Um, I think another example, OCT. OCT is raising its fees by $20 or 13%. And the rationale was, quote, to keep up with inflation. Um, so I don't think uh, this is about them saving money. If you look at all the things I mentioned, the gas uh, the cap and trade, the, uh, I was going to say gas plants, but that was the last government, uh, the green energy projects. I don't think it's really about saving money. It really is to me clearly about opening up public education to profit. It really is when push comes to shove, I think this e-learning is going to be their, their line in the sand that they draw. And I think they've already got, uh, people waiting, private people waiting to make money off education. Really, when we look at it, education is the last bastion of public enterprise in this country. And health has already drifted towards privatization slowly over the years. Education has managed to sort of keep the, if you will, the pariahs out, the profiteers out. And I think that that's what this is. So I guess my message to people is, let's not be ashamed to say that we deserve a cost of living increase. Uh, we do, just like the firefighters do, just like the police officers do, just like the military would, or just like our MPPs would. Today's podcast is brought to you by Minister's Fashion Week at Queen's Park. The world's leading political image specialists gathered this December for the newest in pantsuits, oversized jackets, and fake chuckles. Learn the latest in sleeve rolling to connect with your hardworking constituents. 
and find out from our Thai experts what's in this fall, red, blue, or blue. And don't forget to stop by the facial hair exhibit to learn the best way to fake your presence in negotiations. One day, three day, or five day scruff. Remember most of all, you don't have to be good, you just have to look good at Minister's Fashion Week at Queen's Park. Well, thank you to our very many listeners. I predict our biggest spike was uh, last year, uh, right after March break. Remember all these uh, crazy ideas came out? The, it was like a Friday of March break news dump. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. When we were all yeah. away. And it was right after that, all the, uh, check the bar graph. It was like, whoop. Everyone was all of a sudden engaged. So I would bet. I thought our first one this season was pretty popular. Yeah. We're an internet sensation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, For sure. Um, So I would guess that tomorrow, especially because I'm going to just call this uh, episode strike, then I would (laughs) bet people will be interested. So uh, thank you very much for listening. And our apologies to Greg Stevens. Uh, tonight we had to freeze him in carbonite until the next time we'll thaw him in a back to tank and get him going again. He's our, hands off. A reminder to follow us on Twitter at OSSTFD. And you can always email us at D29PAC at gmail.com, even though none of you have, like not one of you has in 15 months. Actually, that's not true. We did have an email. Earl Burt. Earl Burt emailed us. Shout out Earl. <laughs> Keeping that Gmail strong. Give us an iTunes subscription and press your colleagues to get engaged now too. Thanks for listening in. Support your friends and colleagues. Play your games on the strike line. Do what you got to do. Stay warm. Keep the faith and stay warm because tomorrow it's going to be cold. Uh, Probably when you hear again from us, it will be 2020. Yes. And we will have a deal. I hope so. We hope that we will have a deal. So uh, enjoy your family. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your turkeys. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your break. And we'll see you after that. Amen.